Greetings, friends. Welcome to Building Tradition, where we tell the stories from builders, architects, building artisans, craftspeople, and preservationists. This podcast is brought to you by Traditional Building and traditionalbuilding.com. I'm your host, Pete Miller. History informs the future, and so do our guests. Traditional Building has recently announced this year's Who's Who, 25 industry leaders who make a difference. Our leaders are profiled in the October issue of Traditional Building and highlighted on the magazine's website. What our leaders all have in common is that they give back. They give back by volunteering their time and their knowledge to their professional peers, their clients, and to emerging professionals. They mentor, they teach, they pass along their insight to the next generation. They have also achieved a high level of success in their careers, which sets a high standard example for the rest of us. One of our deserving who's who leaders this year is John Canning of John Canning Company. He's the founder and he has helped preserve any number of important historic buildings, churches, historic theaters, state capitals. Welcome, John Canning. Yes, thank you, Peter. Good morning. John, you began your direct decorative arts training in your native Glasgow, Scotland, and a five-year apprenticeship as a church decorator, fulfilling requirements at the Scottish Decorative Trade Institute, the Glasgow Stowe College of Building, and the Glasgow School of Art. Reading your impressive resume, Rennie McIntosh comes to mind, who was both a Scottish building artisan, an architect, and a decorative artist. Is it fair to call you all this too? Did he influence you, John? Um, okay. <laughs> well, okay. About 12 years ago, I was only tradesman to be inducted into the AIA as an honorary member. I'm honored and appreciate that. However, it is not fair to call me an architect simply because I'm not an architect. A building artisan or decorative artist, I'm comfortable with. However, I prefer the title of journeyman tradesman. After all, it is what I apprentice for. It's been said that classicism is where craftsmanship and traditional design merge. Do you agree with that? And can you talk to us about that? Um, yes, I do. I, I do agree with that. And I do agree with the principles of classicism. It is most apparent in our industry, you know, decorative industry, uh, in, especially in our architectural illusionistic painting, uh, which depends on the principle and proportions and scale and requirements and knowledge of the orders of architecture and uh, the various elements, uh, columns, dentils, and darts, so on and so forth. In general, understanding and imitating the aesthetics of the classical subject. So, Peter, now when I say architectural illusionistic painting, um, in my apprenticeship, that was a term that was used. It's only in the past 40, 50 years the term trompe l'oeil has creeped into our lexicon. So, when we're doing this trompe l'oeil work, um, it becomes most apparent. Uh, classicism becomes most apparent. You have a particular love for practicing your craft, artwork, plaster, stone, and wood. 
in church buildings. And you have said that after 60 years of applying your trade, church projects remain my passion. Why is this, John? Uh, y yes, indeed, it is my passion. And if, if I may go back to my apprenticeship and my early exposure to restoring the interior of a church, I had a very good, uh, well, uh, uh, with church decoration. Um, first three months, I was a shop boy or slab boy, familiarizing myself with all of the terminology and various pigments and rudiments of uh, paint chemistry. One of my tasks was delivering paint and supplies in a wheelbarrow, above all things, to a church we were just starting to work on. When I saw this dank, dark, drich, dilapidated church with peeling paint and plaster, I thought to myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> Subsequent deliveries to the church, I started to see transformation taking place, and I eventually got to work on it until it was finished. Now, the one thing about that was that I observed, and that which had an influence on me, was I observed the certain demeanor and reverence amongst all of the craftsmen who had the privilege of working on the restoration. I think the spirit, nature of special places inspires a certain kind of reverence, a kind of reverence not found or appropriate in other structures. Are you still pushing paint around in a wheelbarrow, John? No, that sounds very Dickinson, doesn't it? But this is true. This is true. I, I, I two-wheeled wheelbarrow in the cobblestone streets of Glasgow, pushing a barrow about 10 or 15 blocks away. Uh, thanks, Leah. Thankfully, I've got, I've got rubber wheels on my barrow now. And big forearms to, to, to push it. Uh, one of the reasons you were recognized in traditional building magazines 25 leaders who make a difference uh, is because you've been so generous over the years about teaching others about your, your trade, decorative arts. How do you come by your willingness to teach? Um, well, I suppose, Peter, my willingness to teach stems from the principles and the traditional practice of journeyman and apprentice relationship, whereby a journeyman hands down his knowledge, skill, and experience to an apprentice, in other words, from one generation to another. Based on the traditional practices, I've done a number of things to pass on my knowledge and experience to the next generation. Including um, presenting for us at the, at the traditional building conference. Yes. Uh, and you've done other talks for the Association of Preservation Technology International. I'm sure AIA has invited you. Uh, I've seen you in action, John. You're a good teacher. Yeah, well, also, I, you know, as regards the, um, the teaching processes, I, I wrote the syllabus uh, for our company in-house apprenticeship and also for the state of Connecticut's apprenticeship program. And I've sat in many boards, uh, the Board of uh, Advisors for Buncombe College in Asheville, North Carolina, which was done under the auspices of the London City and Guilds. So, and again, it, it said that the eloquence of a tradesman is in his hands, so the teaching is by demonstration. 
And I, again, I've given all these workshops you mentioned, and especially for Columbia and Penn University's historic preservation programs. And of course, as you said, APT conference and numerous workshops and chapters. And let me tell you something interesting that happened about three or four months ago. Um, I, I had given a, a workshop at Belmont College, Ohio, about 25 years ago. And a young woman came to work for our company. And in a conversation, she mentioned Belmont College and that they were still using my demonstration panels for their work at, and that I conducted over 20 years ago. Now, I find that very gratifying and rewarding for, for teaching. Absolutely. And you probably told her, well, I can update those panels for you 20 years hence. There would be a charge nowadays. <laughs> All that pro bono work's gone. All the pro bono work is gone. So you've worked on a number of National Register historic landmark buildings. Do any of them stand out in your memory more than others? Uh, yes, Peter. They, I mean, they uh, stand out more than others. But I think the important one was uh, the Grand Central Terminal Sky Mural. And that is because after years of neglect and near demolition, it was the first building to be designated as a historic landmark under the United States Landmark Conservancy Act. And it was one of the most memorable for me because of the many challenges that had to be worked out. Boy, the scaffolding alone must have been massive. Um, a very complicated, but not just the scaffold, but working on the scaffold, we had so many protocols that we had to put in place. Uh, for example, uh, one was in the event that maybe there was a spill of our cleaning solution that would fall onto the heads of the people about 120 feet below, uh, what would be our first uh, line of containment for, for these uh, solutions we were using. And after the engineers had come up with many, many proposals, our solution was to um, place the buckets inside a kiddie swimming pool, the little kiddie pools that you buy at about four feet by four feet. So if you can imagine uh, a row of uh, men working, walking across the concourse, uh, on a straight line with, on their shoulders, kiddie pools. <laughs> you were wondering what that would be all about. But it was a very effective way. If the, if, the water, if the bucket spilled over, it would be completely contained within that kiddie pool. In the kiddie pool. Simple yeah. solution. Common sense. So looking into your crystal ball, what do you think the future of craftsmanship in America is? I think... The future of craftsmanship looks good. Every profession and industry is concerned about artificial intelligence and how it would affect them. I have no such concerns. When I look at other industries like electronics, automobile, aircraft, for example, and to see how much they have advanced over the past hundred years. I mean, after all, what was 50 years since Armstrong landed in the moon? During this period of time, the building and restoration trades has not basically, has not changed that much. It still boils down to the eye and the hand of the craftsman. I, I, look, young people come to this craft from diverse backgrounds and education, and they all have one thing in common. They all want to work with their hands. 
And with so many landmark buildings in the country, craftsmen is an important component to ensure that these buildings and their fabrics are around for future generations to enjoy and appreciate. So I believe that the past works in the past of these craftsmen are the link from the past to the present, and that the hands-on work that they do today is a link from the present to the future. So I have a pretty optimistic view. So if I can just tell you one little story, that one day while working on a marbleizing a column with the same type of brushes that was used a hundred years ago, a lady inquired of me if I was a faux painter. And I replied, no, I was a real painter. So there, there is great hope for real painters and a great future for real painters. So uh, that's my crystal ball look into the future. That's optimistic indeed. And I share your optimism about the future of craft. Thank you, John. I appreciate your joining our Building Tradition podcast this morning. Oh, my pleasure, Peter. My pleasure. And if I may, thank uh, the Traditional Building Magazine for recognizing me as one of the 25 leaders who make a difference. Thank you. I'm Pete Miller, and you're listening to Building Tradition, brought to you by Traditional Building Magazine. Our Building Tradition podcast is produced by Ann White with technical assistance from Nate Gruca. Subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.